It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter in the basement studio on a very chilly Monday evening. And I waited a little bit of time to come down and do this podcast because Saturday sucked. And I think all Illini fans would agree with that. And while on one hand it wasn't completely unexpected, I think the dramatic nature in which we snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, it was almost too much to take. We, we've done that enough, not just this year, but in our history as Illini football fans. And what? hey, listen, what a spectacular way to go out. I mean, if you're going to go out guns blazing, that is a way to do it. Where You have 37 combined points in the fourth quarter. What was a crazy fourth quarter? And even after you had Wiltshire give up that fumble and they return it for the touchdown, you know, we're all shell-shocked. My dad actually came inside because we, we did a garage tailgate for it. My dad went inside after Northwestern took the lead with a touchdown after Isaiah fumbled the punt. He goes inside, go to the restroom. He comes out. He's like, did I miss anything? And me and my other two friends just bust out laughing. Because what else are you going to do? You either laugh or you break something. It's not the kind of game where you just say, ho-hum, let's move on. There is a visceral reaction to a loss like that for a variety of reasons, not the least of which that Northwestern with an upstart coach, David Braun, is somehow 7-5, and five, the inverse of your record. And if you would have told me that three-plus months ago after the car wash scandal and the end of the Pat Fitzgerald tenure, I would have laughed in your face. And then I would have stopped, thought about it, and said, you know what, that makes perfect sense. I need to stop being an Illinois football fan. Because there is no karma, right? And this is a quick digression before I get back to more logical things, but let's just get this out of the way. There's no such thing as karma, okay? Whatever happened in Northwestern, there are worse crimes. Them hazing is kind of nasty and weird, but, you know, it, it, that's just weird, culty kind of football-y stuff that you might get at a place like Northwestern or many other places probably. But there is no karma. They, they had no punishment, really. They fired a coach that might have had one more bad year and then been gone himself anyways. Who knows? Or maybe Pat Fitzgerald would have been there forever. But regardless, it worked out just fine for them. They fire their legendary coach, and then their interim coach takes them to a 7-5 record. Right before that, we see Michigan, amidst a sign-stealing scandal, beat Ohio State to advance to the Big Ten title game, which they will then beat Iowa by a couple of scores and then easily move on to the college football playoff and maybe win the whole damn thing. There is no karma. You don't get things you deserve. In sports, that's just not how it works, right? And sometimes the quote-unquote bad guys win. And all too often for Illini fans, the good guys, all too often lose. So Saturday was this weird culmination to a season that was exhausting, sometimes exhilarating, but mostly frustrating, tantalizing in how good things could be when they look good, but... You always felt like Charlie Brown with Lucy holding the football. You knew that something bad could happen. And damn it, I tried time and time again to fight that temptation. To not go down that rabbit hole of we're screwed, we are predestined to be bad. I don't, and by the way, I still don't believe that. And yet, in trying to fight that that tendency we have as Illini fans, to think that the sky is falling, right? try my best, and yet that game happens in the way that it happened. So 
let's hit the sponsors and then start macro and kind of whittle our way down because it's not just about a game. It's about a season that wasn't. The reason I'm calling this episode Busted Stuff is because the last one was called Bowl or Bust and you busted. And now you're kind of left to pick up the pieces. And oddly enough, as I record this, it was a good day recruiting-wise for Illinois, getting Andrew Dennis, a Michigan State flip, four-star kid, the highest-ranked recruit that Beal has had. That's tremendous. That's great news, and it should be celebrated and applauded and be reasons to think, okay, well, you know, not all is lost. But I also don't want that to stray us from the fact that what we just went through in this season was in many ways inexcusable and unfortunately dredges up a whole host of questions that I didn't think I would have to ask going into year four of the Brett Bielema tenure. But here we are. So before I get too far into it, got to remind you, the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO, online at dpdo.com. Sorry that you couldn't have a celebratory calzone on Saturday. You probably wanted a break from your Thanksgiving leftovers, but you can order DPDO anytime, including business lunches. If you're a Champaign-Urbana business owner or you're working someplace locally, they deliver it anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. Go online to dpdo.com and order a custom zone with any toppings that you want or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. That is online at dpdo.com. Also, Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing, your home's best friend, and boy, do you need them now. It's starting to get cold today. Frigid. Our furnace, piping hot, even hotter than the calzones, believe it or not. And what Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing does better than anybody, customer service. They came in to make sure that our furnace was tip-top shape. This is the third year in a row that we've worked with them, and we're really happy to be partnering up, not just with the podcast, but they are our HVAC people, and we trust them with both our heating and air conditioning needs. That's Dogtown Heating, Air, and Plumbing. Give them a call at 217-841-4728. Also, Owen Builders, LLC. I'm on at owenbuildersllc.com. Luke and his staff, awesome on what they do. They specialize in home additions, patios, and decks. And while we are getting into the colder months, they can basically work year-round. So that shouldn't stop you from going to owenbuildersllc.com, checking out a gallery of their work. And what I can also say and often do, and this is the truth with Luke and his staff, it's the communication that separates them from other contractors. Not to, you know, crap on contractors. They have hard jobs, right? I, I couldn't do what they do. But sometimes the communication leaves you wanting, not with Owen Builders LLC. So go on to owenbuildersllc.com, get a free quote today. Finally, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian is my guy, and he can be your guy at brianismyguy.com. We've been with Brian for about three years now, and... Uh, we couldn't be happier. And this is what I like about being the sponsors here of this podcast. Like, it's not just that they're sponsoring the podcast, but we actually get to work with them. And that's a cool connection that we get to have. And Brian, I can speak highly of not just as an insurance agent, but as a person. And when it comes to matters of insurance, you kind of want to be able to trust that person, right? Well, you can. So Brian is my guy. Dot com. Also, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Appreciate them and appreciate you, the listeners. And we've been off for about a week. We waited a week. Uh, Thanksgiving, I hope, was great for you and yours, and it certainly was for ours, and a great weekend overall, despite the results Saturday. And it was kind of a nice refresher, because I look at the weekend before when Illinois lost at Iowa, and the way in which they lost, and how frustrating that was, but we were up in Michigan for Kara's side of the family's Thanksgiving. And then, you know, the game ends, and you cool off, and you realize, okay, you know, it's going to sound hokey or cheesy, but you do realize the important things in life. So my decision Saturday 
go to the game, not go to the game, tailgate, not tailgate. It was driven by, well, I want to be able to hang out with people that I care about more than I do. Uh, I, I place a higher emphasis on that than actually being in the stadium on what ended up being a pretty nice day. I mean, you could do far worse for November 25th, right? But we decided, my dad and I, a couple friends, okay, let's do the garage tailgate. And by the way, I'm becoming a full-on Midwesterner. We got space heaters in there, some of those infrared heaters that I hang up. And my idea is to make that a four-seasons garage. Okay, it's detached, so it doesn't have the heat from the house. So I got to find ways to make this place uh, somewhere that I can smoke cigars all year or play darts all year. That, my Christmas list is basically, how can I make my garage the ultimate Midwestern garage? So we gave it a trial run on Saturday with the heaters, with the big TV setup. And from the get-go, you could tell, oh boy. I mean, I, I remember just looking at my dad and friends as this game started, like, you know, this is, is going to be one of those. And there was actually a moment in the first quarter where it felt like Illinois might get run, but credit to them... And credit, especially the offense, I thought, where you started to get going a little bit. And if we can just lay this out there right now, Illinois looked like the better team for most of that game. And I'm trying to think, is that ridiculous to say? I mean, you gave up 45 points. And how can you just sit here so brazenly and say, well, yeah, I think we were the better team. The reason I say that is the eye test from when things were cooking, right? When Illinois' offense was cooking, I had no doubts that we were going to be able to continue to score. And then defensively, I had no doubts that we had a guy, Johnny Newton, sadly the last game that he's going to play for Illinois, that could go make you a play. But ghost of disappointments past, specifically this season and this defense and this secondary, came back and haunted you. Now, before I launch into my overriding concerns of the defense. It must be said, of course, the secondary was short some key guys. I get it. I'm not going to look at something like, oh, Taz is out, Xavier Scott is out, and say, oh, no big deal. On the flip side, it's not as if that secondary was great hardly at any time this year with them in it. So what I mean to say by that is, there's not a lot of credibility on that side of the ball anyway, so regardless of who's lining up, when there are disappointments from that unit, I point my fingers a little bit less at, oh, well, it was a freshman cornerback, and more, boy, the system must just suck. This whole thing just kind of stinks. The defense failed you again. You lost this game for two large reasons. One, the defense and two, special teams blunders. Now, the special teams blunders, sad as they were, can be hung on two individuals. Isaiah, and boy, I, what can you say? It just, I, I, I can't even remember being angry so much as just, oh no. That, that sort of sad sigh when you saw that it was Isaiah, of all people, doing that again did not bite you ultimately in the Indiana game. It bit you here. Wilcher, freshman, taking a chance, it sucks. Very frustrating. But that's the risk you run when you try to return kicks. It bit you. Anywho, 
That's the special team side of it that must be addressed because that was a 14-point swing in a matter of like a minute of game time. And then, defensively, there was another swing, a 14-point swing at the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half where you saw Northwestern effectively drive at 80 yards each time with no resistance. And that right there was enough to tell me everything I needed to know. Sometimes we need to boil down the essence of a season to the simplest of terms. Why did you end up 5-7? and seven? And there are many areas in which we can point fingers. Overall sloppiness. Penalties, even though we only had one of them. It was costly. It was Tyler Strain. Strikes again. Though we did get an interception, but it was the holding that negated a sack by Johnny Newton, and I'm pretty sure Northwestern went on to score that drive. But... We can look at all these things and say, yes, of course, this, this, that, and the other all led to it. But at the end of the day, we know that the reason this team was 5-7 and seven and not 7-5 and five was not the offense, was not necessarily special teams. It was a defense that went from first in the Big Ten to 12th. That is why you're staying home. The defense. And... We need to start looking there. Now, I've already said on this podcast before, I said it last week, the Iowa game, I know you only gave up 13 points. Your defense only gave up 13 points. You also gave up a safety. But when you needed them to make a play, like when you're asking them to just for once go above and beyond and make a play, they were unable to do that in the most crucial of moments against an Iowa offense that just sucks. Deacon Hill stinks. And he kind of carved you up a little bit in parts of that game. And you might have had a couple good quarters, but again, when it mattered the most, when you were asking them to just make one more stop, they were unable to do that. When you're just saying, keep Iowa out of the end zone, that's it. Field goals don't hurt you. They couldn't do that. It was always something with that unit. Wisconsin, end of the first half, you give up a score. You give up 18 straight points in the fourth quarter against Wisconsin. Defense. Of course, the offense could have scored more, but guess what? They finished third in total offense and fifth in scoring offense in the Big Ten. What more do you want from your offense? And that's considering the fact that in the first six games of the year, they weren't very good. That tells you something about how the offense closed out the year. It also tells you that the defense never picked up the slack. They left you out to dry game after game after game. Go back to Toledo. Toledo takes a game leading score with just a few minutes left and it requires you to pull a game out of your butt and Casey Washington to make a miraculous catch on a miraculous throw. Florida Atlantic went 99 yards to make it a one possession game late in the fourth quarter. Now, was it the scariest I've ever it's ever been in a fourth quarter Memorial Stadium? Nah. You felt like we probably got this and you ran the ball out. Could have ended up winning by 13 if you would have scored instead of kneeled. But regardless, a 99-yard drive to Florida Atlantic when all you had to do was stop them one time or just keep them out of the end zone and the game's over. Penn State, late score given up at the first half. believe it was a field goal. Nebraska, immediately after you fail on the first the one-yard line, I think Nebraska goes down and scores a touchdown. And they, I know the defense, I guess, statistically played okay, but Heimlich or whatever the guy's name was, Heinrich, whatever, carved you up for points in that game. Not a good quarterback. This defense stunk. 
The stats told us they stunk. The eye test told us they stunk. Our guts told us they stunk. We knew in that Northwestern game, as we did many games before that, oh boy, 106 left in the first half, when you should be able to go back into your house and grab another drink before you come out to the garage and just enjoy halftime, guess what? Northwestern goes on an 80-plus yard drive to take the lead. I know that you lost three secondary guys to the NFL draft. Top 70 picks, all of them. So, yep, that's a major loss. But you still had a front seven that you could have kind of used as a foundation for this thing. You still had Aaron Henry, who was a deep backs coach himself, who had an entire year to figure out some combination of guys back there. Couldn't do it. I'm not sure what Antonio Finellis does, the, the D-backs coach, but whatever those two did with their D-backs, they regressed. Or maybe they were just always that bad, and then the tape got out, and then teams were better able to exploit that. But regardless of what it was, the secondary was atrocious. That is Aaron Henry's calling card. Part of the reason that I was excited at this maneuvering that Brett Bielema did was the notion, and maybe this is why Brett Bielema was excited himself, the notion that this young, good recruiter, defensive backs coach that had a hand in developing Devin Witherspoon and Quan Martin and Kirby Joseph and Sidney Brown into the players that they were, was that you caught this rising star. But now we're being talked to, whether it's from Aaron Henry himself after the Iowa game, saying, I've learned a lot in my first year. So, you know, learning on the job. And then Brett Bielema essentially saying as much after the Northwestern game. Apparently now we are a training ground for coordinators. That is not what, screw Power 5, let's call it what it is, Power 2, because Big Ten and SEC, that is not how a Power 2 college football team should be operating. Plain and simple. We are going to enter an offseason where, listen, I know what it is, as I joked with Jeremy yesterday via text, he's, what are you going to talk about in the pod? I'm going to scream into the void about this Aaron Henry thing. Less to do with Aaron Henry the man, because please don't mistake this as a personal thing but more to do with if you are a serious football program, this cannot happen. A change would be made at any Power 2 institution that really values their football program. And instead, we are going to be sold, well, it was his first year, he's learning on the job. Don't listen to that crap. If he's been a coach long enough, there's no learning on the job. This isn't student teaching. You're in the classroom now. You got to do better than that. But I could sit here and I could rant and rave all I wanted to about Aaron Henry. I could. But this is a Brett Bielema problem. This is a coach. If we really get down to brass tacks here about Brett Bielema, this is someone that is uber confident. And that worked out beautifully in years one and two. When you're on the up and you have that chip on your shoulder as a program, it really helps to have a guy that is that exudes that kind of confidence, right? Kind of a swagger, right? Now, for whatever reason, from when last season ended to this season, that coach and the rest of his staff and the rest of his players were talking Indy. Indy, Big Ten Championship, that was the goal. Not make a bowl, 
not just have a good season, like us fans. Well, I, I said many, many times in August, I don't need Indy. I don't expect it. I don't need it. I just need a solid year. And yeah, I might have predicted nine and three, but you know what? Seven and five, I would have been fine. Six and six by the end of it. I recalibrated and said, fine, just give me the six and six. Salvage this thing and let's just make the crappiest bowl game, but at least you would have made a bowl game. But instead, you fall flat on your face. So what the hell happened? And I can only sit here and think that maybe, just maybe, your head coach and all the confidence that he exudes was arrogant about their prospects. Was arrogant about his ability to take any coach and fit them into any spot. Was arrogant about the personnel that he had in that Smith Performance Center thinking that this team was good enough to do that. To me, the bigger concern after a 5-7 and seven season and losing to Northwestern and losing all these games in the manner in which you lost them, yeah, okay, the team didn't quit. The team almost saved the season by making a bowl game. There are positives to be gleaned here. And yes, you were competitive in all these games, but here's, here's the crux of it. Third-year Brett Bielema, who is now in year 15, I believe, as a college football head coach is sitting at home in December because he went 0-4 against first-year Big Ten coaches. He couldn't beat Ryan Walters. He couldn't beat Matt Rule. He couldn't beat Luke Fickle. He couldn't beat David freaking Braun. And not a single one of those teams had a decided personnel advantage over you. Nope, not even Wisconsin. No personnel advantage to really speak of. I could really only maybe look at Iowa, but I think maybe less personnel advantage, more just systemic, a a program that's been doing it now for 23 years. And Penn State and Kansas. I could probably count three teams that had a decided personnel advantage over you. And yet, you're sitting home. And David freaking Braun is bowling. How does this happen? This, to me, is going to leave a seed of doubt in anything else that Brett Bielema does until we see something consistently. Because now, all of a sudden, you're looking at a 5-win, 8-win, 5-win first three years here, which start to feel a little bit more like the Arkansas experience than the Illinois. Or sorry, more of the Arkansas experience than the Wisconsin one. And sure, people could rightly say, Carp, consider the fact this is Illinois. He inherited Lovey Smith's program. And that is true. There was a lack of depth that happened because of Lovey Smith's recruiting, but there's also some stars that Lovey Smith brought in that propelled you to a 7-1 start last year. And since that 7-1 start, things have not felt good around here. They haven't. You've had a few punctuated moments of, oh, yeah, yeah. But you've lost that momentum that you would built in the first eight games of 2022. And I question whether or not Brett Bielema has the, if you want to say charisma, and the recruiting acumen to really get this thing rolling when you are now entering a Big Ten with 18 teams. If we were to do a power ranking of Big Ten teams going into 2024, you don't want to know where Illinois is going to be. Any chance of them being good next year will rely on a Herculean coaching job. And I do think that's something that even with these stumbles in the Brett Bielema era that 
I think there's something there coaching-wise that we just have not had, right? I, I do think that we've seen an overall raising of the floor that we haven't seen from an Illinois coach in my lifetime. Now, of course, the frustrations persist because you were not closing these games out. The frustrations persist because there's sloppiness, a lack of discipline, just making boneheaded play after boneheaded play and just simply not making enough winning plays, right? Making losing plays for that matter. But the fact that we came to this year talking about Indy, or at least they did, and this is the end result, tells me that there was something seriously amiss over there with their own expectations, with their own evaluations, They perceived this team to be much better. They sold us that this team would be much better. And even those of us who were fairly modest and saying, hey, that's great and all, I just need you guys to be good. I don't need great. And even when I said nine and three, was not banking on them being great, but rather just good. That's not too much to ask. Seven and five is not too much to ask. You went one and five. Is that right? Yeah. One in five against the Big Ten West. How? We're talking about a historically bad Power Five division. You went one in five. You had better luck against the Big Ten East. Winning at Maryland. Beating Indiana at home in overtime. No thanks to the defense, of course. And then Penn State, you lost that game. How do you go 1-5 and five against the Big Ten West? If you would have told me that before the season, I would have said, guess what? That is an abject failure. And I was this damn close to calling this episode abject failure, which seems hyperbolic. But consider the fact that with all the returning guys you had, even with the losses, and we factored that in, and I think gave it the proper weight factoring that into our own prognostications of this season. And you win one measly game against the Big Ten West? That's ridiculous. Brett Bielema is going to wear that. And the ramifications of that, we'll see. Now, recruiting again, it was a good day. They got Andrew Dennis, former Michigan State, four-star offensive lineman, decommits from there, commits to us. Apparently good enough where he might even be in the two deep next year. And that's great to get a high-level player like that. We see in a Caden Fagan the difference that a four-star kid can make. It makes a big difference, right? But boy, oh boy, just to call this a missed opportunity is is a complete understatement. Because it, it would not have required much to just keep us feeling good about this thing. And now we're going into an offseason where unless you're a diehard, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, and certainly I am. Unless you're a diehard, you're checked out. We saw, and expectedly, there were not many people at the game on Saturday. And I was as guilty of that as anybody. Thanksgiving weekend, a little bit cold. I just want to watch it on TV in my garage. I don't want to spend four hours out in the cold. And especially if I would have been there to see that loss in that fashion. You know, that, that's not fun. That's not fun. Then not only are you pissed off, but you're cold and pissed off. And for those that have been cold football games, that's a pretty bad combination. You don't want to do that. But it's... I just did not expect after year three that we would have maybe as many concerns about Brett Bielema as we would things that we feel good about. 
if you go back to his last, I want to say the last three Illinois seasons, the five that he had at Arkansas, and the eight win season at Wisconsin, I think it's eight wins at Wisconsin, something like five, eight, six, eight, five at Arkansas, then five, eight, and five here. And there, there'd be a lot of us that would look at that and say, well, if that was Illinois' record in the last eight football seasons of our own, we would take that. The problem is that's not factoring in the context of a super easy schedule, a division that is now gone, the fact that your conference is getting tougher, and that recruiting is only going to get more and more difficult because now you have more fish in the same pond that might have more NIL resources than you do. So I'm sitting here somewhat despairing, though they can address all these things and they can fix them in their own way. NIL might actually work out for Illinois. It might help us keep Isaiah Williams. I think the offense next year with Isaiah Williams and Luke Altmeyer and Caden Fagan and hopefully Reggie Love, you got something there. Pat Bryant coming back. That's something, right? You can win games for that offense. But a defense that's losing Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph? I, I just don't understand how that defense is going to be anything but terrible. I don't see it. Herculean effort, not just coaching next year to be good, but Herculean effort to somehow build this roster back up so that you can feel a competitive defense. Because you are now, we saw the difference of losing three draft picks in the secondary. You went from first to 12th. And now that we're only entering the second year of your defensive coordinator who's learning on the job, apparently, I'm sorry, but that doesn't give me a lot of faith that this defense is going to be anything but bad next year. And if you also want to look at historical context for Illinois teams that follow up good years with five win years, now Ron Turner did it twice. After they went eight and four in uh, 1999, the Mike Ron PC Bowl, where they smoked Virginia and Thomas Jones in Virginia. In 2000, they went five and six. That year got, let's be honest, derailed by the Michigan Fumblegate game, and they never quite recovered. And then Kirk Kittner got hurt in the Ohio State game late in the season. 2001, you followed up that 5-1 year with your best year yet. That team was returning a ton of people. That 2001 team reminds me a lot of last year's team, especially when they were 7-1, and one. not the way that last year's team finished, but there were enough veterans on that team that it just seemed to kind of coalesce at the right time, a team that had been through a lot and they went to a Sugar Bowl. So yeah, that's one time that you've seen after 5-1 year, you saw a major uptick. But then also in 2002, you went five and seven after a Sugar Bowl appearance. How did you follow that up? Well, let's see. You lost all your NFL wide receivers. You lost, I want to say, Jerry Schumacher might have still been on that defense. Maybe Christian Morton too. In 2003, you went one and 11. I don't think next year's team's going one and 11. I just don't know how good they're going to be. And then you go to Ron Zook, make the Rose Bowl. Next year, they go 5-7. and seven. How do they follow up the 5-1 year? 3-9. and nine. And that was with Juice Williams and Aurelius Ben and about eight other NFL players. So let's not, let's not get this twisted. Ron Zook could recruit, couldn't coach his way out of the paper bag. I think that Brett Bielema is still a pretty good coach. But the question is, can he overcome the issues that have been ailing him? Not just here, but also the Arkansas experience, which I know that's apples and oranges. We're talking about that was one of the best divisions in college football history that he had to compete against. This is one of the worst. 
And I'm not sure what that really says about this five and seven year, other than the fact that you missed an opportunity when you really needed it. But this leads me to what this podcast is really about anyways. And that's being a fan. People will and should fan however they want to. So me being in the garage on Saturday, that's that was my prerogative. And anyone that went to the game, that's your prerogative too. That was great. If you did, I ran by the tailgate lots, maybe 10, 10.30, and you know, it was dead. It was dead. I think if we would have beaten Iowa, it's a different story. It wouldn't have been 50,000 people, but I bet you could have gotten another five, 6,000 people there just based on the excitement of a big win against Iowa, bowl eligible. You got your rival, Northwestern, coming into town. The feeling that maybe we can really conjure up some momentum, but no, this team, again, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, the air goes out of the balloon, Northwestern's in town, it's kind of cold, I don't want to do it, and a lot of people didn't want to do it. So, because this is a fan podcast, let's talk about the impact now on the fans, and what this means going forward. We had 10,000 new season tickets sold this season, right? And... That was an impressive feat from the ticketing office and Brett Bielma, who did a great job selling the program and a great job also from uh, a great job from Josh Whitman. I I thought top down, it was really a great way to embrace the fact that you went eight and five the year before and by lowering ticket prices and offering all these incentives, you really drove up the fan interest. What I also think tells you a lot about the Illinois fan base is they didn't look at last year's one and four finish as I'm not buying into this crap they recognized that there was a rational explanation for that. They, they gave the benefit of the doubt to Brett Bielema on this program and said, you know what? It sucks how last year ended, but there was more good than bad. We're building something the right way. We're going to invest in this. 10,000 people invested their time, energy, and money into this program that had not before. So this year happens. And not just this year, but go back to game one. And yeah, Toledo, they're 11-1. and one. They're really good. That's, the, that's your best one of the year. Toledo at home. Who would have thunk it? But from the outset, it wasn't right. You know what I mean? It wasn't right. We felt it. We knew it. The defense from the get-go wasn't right. The offense was spotty early on. I mean, just enough plays to win that game, fortunately. But then by the Kansas blowout, and then the second half of Penn State, what the hell? But yet, the fans and myself, I mean, this is where I was very much an average fan this year, right? Like I, in years past, like after the Indiana loss last year, I said, I'm not going in for Virginia. I was too pissed off. I'm not going in for the Virginia game. You know, me being stubborn. But this year, even after the one and two start, and as bad as you looked against Kansas and as bad as the second half was against Penn State, hey, Florida Atlantic, Purdue, Nebraska. This is your opportunity. And I think fans said, that's fine. Okay, rough start. We knew the one and two was a possibility. Now we make hay with an easy three-game stretch. You beat Florida Atlantic, but it was not inspiring. You get smoked against Purdue. And you don't even show up for Nebraska. And we know that's the story of the season. And then he went at Maryland, and guess what? Great crowd for Wisconsin. The fans didn't check out. They didn't, and I know that was homecoming, and that's usually a good crowd, but there was an energy in there. The fans trying to will this program to some kind of relevancy, to some kind of sustained success, and you crapped down your leg in spectacular fashion against a backup scrub quarterback for Wisconsin 
that ran that defense ragged the minute your All-American went out. And you had no answers. None. Just like you didn't really the first half of the Minnesota game when Johnny Newton was out. Thank God he came back in. Thank God John Paddock came in. Thank God for the miracle in Minneapolis that got you to four and five. And the fans were there again for Indiana. And what a scene that was, right? They were there and they were involved and invested in the John Paddock game, which we'll all remember. But unfortunately, now means less because you couldn't even make a stupid bowl game. Why? Because just when you have that opportunity at 5-5 five and five and you're leading in the fourth quarter at Iowa City, you can't keep the worst offense in Power 5 out of the end zone. Incapable of doing that. Allergic to making plays this defense. Incredible. Four interceptions on the year, I believe. Maybe five. I'd have to check that. But you were 14th in the Big Ten. A broken defense by any metric, by any measurement. And that's with an All-American on your defensive line causing havoc every other play. And it didn't matter. You were so bad behind him, it did not matter. And then the Northwestern game, the cherry on top of the turd Sunday. Fans kept buying back in. Fans kept giving you a chance, and you kept blowing it. We are not asking for the moon. We're not asking for conference titles. We're asking for you to take advantage of a terrible schedule and win six, seven games. That's it. We're fine. But when this happens again, people are going to say, screw it. Ticket office calls them. Do you want to re-up your tickets? No, no, thanks, but no thanks. Hey, do you want to donate and maybe get a lot 31 pass? Uh, Maybe next year. I'll I'll stay in the E14, whatever. Just a complete botch from this coaching staff. And it pains me to say that. And it led to some reflection on Saturday night. And this is going to sound dramatic, and I apologize. I don't want to get all soapboxy and be like some other personalities that make it all about them. I try my very best not to do that. But sometimes I fail. (laughs) So I have found a way with sports, with the Bears and Yankees, for example. And I know those are two very different beasts we're talking about. But the Yankees, to me, are very stagnant, and they're just running it back every year. They are not going to sniff a World Series. They're a tired dinosaur organization. And I've checked out from that. Because it's not bringing me enjoyment, right? It was bringing me too much frustration. I saw the writing on the wall. This thing's not changing until there's major shakeups. So, yeah, I just, for my own personal sanity, I got to just check out. And if they win, I'm happy. And if they lose, whatever. The Chicago Bears, same thing, right? I mean, they just suck to high heaven, so it's a little bit easier to detach. But, You know, since year three of the Matt Nagy experience, when you started to see, all right, it's still the Bears, I said, I'm not going to get fooled again until they show me consistently that they've figured this out as an organization. I'm not investing the same amount of energy into it. And on Sundays, if I'm, if I got nothing else to do, I'll watch a little bit of the game. I like watching Justin Fields. I'll listen to some of it while I'm doing yard work. I move on with my day. Now, I can't do that with Illinois football to the same degree. And I don't necessarily want to. Tailgating is a huge part of my fall. I live for those tailgate Saturdays. And being able to play host and and have friends and family there, that 
is special. And, and we built a really cool thing just the way that my dad and his buddy Gino did. So now we got generations of Illini fans and we're meeting there every Saturday. It's, it's a really fun thing to do. That's always going to stick. But I found myself this year because I was, I was trying to like will them to a bowl game, like with every fiber of my being, thinking that somehow positive thinking would, you know, transmute over there and they would, oh yeah, okay. Hey, that fan really wants us to make a bowl. Maybe we will. I don't know what I was thinking necessarily, but I was using so much mental energy trying to make this something that it wasn't. When from game one, we kind of knew what this was. Now, after the Nebraska game, I thought this was like a three and nine team. Just a complete disaster, right? And credit to them, they made it interesting. But they were never good. And hey, (laughs) I accepted that. I accepted that they weren't good. And yet... I still looked at the schedule and said, well, none of them are either. Northwestern might be 7-5. and five. They aren't good. They are the epitome of average. Eighth in the Big Ten in offense, ninth in defense. We were fifth in offense, 12th in defense. Now, there's this game I play sometimes where you add the, where you're ranked offensively and defensively, and the higher the score, the worse you are. Well, fifth offense, 12th defense. For Illinois, that's 17 total points, right? Well, guess what? Northwestern, eighth offensively, ninth defensively, that's 17 total points. You'd think that'd be a wash. So what is a miss here? Why is it that despite all things being equal, you probably have about the same team in terms of capabilities. They were able to go 7-5, and five, and you won 5-7. and seven. And that leads me back to Brett Bielema. <laughs> I mean... For someone that's been a coach this long, how are there so many things amiss and so many things wrong with this team? So that's a decision I got to make, you know, as a fan. How do I approach these football seasons going forward without getting, I mean, it can ruin your day. I've gotten better at that. The Iowa game, I was pissed for 20 minutes and then we watched Paddington 2, which is an adorable freaking movie. It's 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. I highly recommend it. Uh, good family fair, and it's just wholesome. So, boom, got back. Was able to pet my uh, mother and father-in-law's dog, Izzy, this little husky. Just the simple things. I'm, I'm, As an older fan, I'm able to get back, get that equilibrium back a little bit quicker than I used to. The Northwestern game. You know, it took 15 minutes. You shrug, you move on with your life. But it sucks. It just sucks. So, even though I've gotten better at not throwing a controller on my PlayStation 2, <laughs> like, or, or breaking a remote control, it still affects my mood. And that may never change, but I still, as a human, and I believe in the concept of free will, I'd like to think that I can have a little bit more impact on how much I wear that emotion or how much it actually affects me. There was a great tweet that I saw earlier this week And I sent it to Kara immediately because it was a couple days after the Iowa game. And I'm paraphrasing here, but it was something along the lines of um, a bunch of 19-year-olds who play for the university I like didn't score enough touchdowns. So I'm drinking myself to sleep in the basement while my wife is crying upstairs trying to watch a Muppets Christmas Carol with the family. The point being in this very tongue-in-cheek tweet, the ridiculousness of rooting for sports and we're all guilty of it and it's fun. So I'm not disparaging any of us for doing this, 
but it does point out the ridiculousness of it, especially with college sports. 19-year-olds wearing an Illinois jersey, didn't score enough touchdowns, therefore my day was ruined. I mean, come on. I'm 37. I'd like to think that, okay, come on, Carp, get, get your stuff together. Sorry to talk in third person there, but get your stuff together. I don't know these people. And I will say that for the Wisconsin game, as I saw that game starting to slip away, my defense mechanism, as I turned to my dad and I said, you know, this is all so stupid. <laughs> I could feel everyone around us getting really like, oh God, this is happening again. I just turned to my dad and I said, I don't know any of these guys. Like I'm rooting for them, but like if they make one less play than Wisconsin, how does that truly have an impact on my life? Of course it did. It sucked. A lot of games this year sucked. And when they won, it was fun. That part will never change, but the effect that it has on me, and, and, and really more to the point, this overriding desire I have for Illinois football to be consistently good, I need to ease up on that because until I see it, that is a, that's an uphill climb. And it would be in any time, any era of college football, but there's some things that are complicating this for Illinois, going to this 18-team Big Ten, losing the Big Ten West you know, cushion, if you want to call it that, that we will no longer have. And in that way, I'm kind of pissed off at Brett Bielema and the staff. <laughs> you know, like, you guys blew it. You blew it. And it's not something they can't overcome, but it's another thing to overcome for a program that is continually overcoming things. It is exhausting. God dang it, man. We just ask for the most meager of success. And it's like pulling teeth. And even when all the chips seem to fall, like, hey, hey, this is a great opportunity to actually make two bowl games in a row. They can't even do it. They can't even make the freaking quick lane bowl in Detroit. Can't even get the APR, though, really, the APR, the graduation rate thing. I don't know how the University of Illinois were like 90th in APR. But even if you were 5-7, and seven, do you really want to make a bowl game with this team? I mean, there's part of me, dang it, I wanted a bowl game really bad. But then the sort of cynical part of me thinks, do I really want to watch that team again? Do I? I kind of do because the offense is fun. But the minute the defense would come on the field, then I would actually want to pick up a remote control and break it against something because I would see yet another blown coverage. I would see another running back gash up the middle for nine or 10 yards and make you think, where the hell, where is everybody? What's going on? Why, why is this happening? <sighs> Boy, um, just a shame. And... Sorry that this is not an Andrew Dennis. Yay, we got a four-star offensive lineman. Again, that's great. But boy, they have yeoman's work to do this offseason because if they're going to win games next year, they got a whole lot of issues to address. They need to build an offensive line, especially on the outsides. They need to build a defensive line now that Johnny and Keith are gone. And I... Do wonder the the playing time thing will be attractive, but being seven and five and selling the playing time thing would have been more attractive. And because they weren't able to do that, I'm just a little bit unsure how this all shakes out. All right, so uh, I got some things here from the chat thread, and I, I did not announce this podcast before; I just kind of started it willy nilly. So I'm going to just kind of rip through these real quick. Chris says, it's going to take a few years, lots of talent coming in. Can we retain? Can we develop? We will see. And Chris, the only way I think this really does work is development. And that's why this year was particularly disappointing. I recognize that the secondary, for example, you had all these new pieces. And yet, usually take a Kirby Joseph as an extreme example. Someone that got better as the year went along. I know that's extreme. 
But, you know, there were other guys that over the years we saw, let's say, a Quan Martin was really rough early in his career. And then as his first season went along, he started to see signs. I didn't see that from any of these secondary guys. Zachary Toby looked better against Fort Atlantic than he did against Northwestern. And we could say, well, that's because of talent. But, I mean, Fort Atlantic did have that one stud receiver. Maybe Taz was on him all game. I digress. I just didn't see that development within the season. And uh, with a few exceptions, uh, Dylan Rosiak, for example, that's a major, major bright, bright spot this year. Excuse me. Daxon on the defensive line, major bright spot. We did see other offensive line coalesce a little bit, start to play a little bit better. But the development piece, which is what we thought would be the bread and butter, uh, I, I'm not 100% on that yet. This is from Jacob. It tells you how much better we were with Paddock at QB. What if he started the year at QB instead of Luke? You know, Jacob, I, I wonder that. I, I think that the beginning of this year, I don't think your record is any different in the first six games with Paddock instead of Luke. Because well, let's run those real quick. Toledo, I think you won because of Luke. He was really good in that first game. There was one pick, but he was really good. Kansas, John Paddock doesn't bring you back against them. I think everything was so amiss in that game, starting with the defense and then the offense not being able to sustain anything until the third quarter. Luke's legs gave you some points you wouldn't have otherwise had. Penn State, uh, hey, maybe, maybe so. I mean, Paddock didn't look great at first, but then you think well, he did have a late touchdown drive. Hmm. So I would argue maybe, Jacob, you should have made the move earlier in that Penn State game, but I, I don't know if your record is all that different. I, I feel for Luke in this regard. I think there were so many other issues going on with that team that I can't pinpoint a lot of the issues on him. I thought the quarterback position this year was pretty good. All right, from Brad. I wonder if the cornerback's uh, coach will be the scapegoat for this year's defense. Might be replaced. It would be a total scapegoat. A position coach, when your defensive coordinator is still coaching up the D-backs. If that happens, Brad, I would think that that'd be a bad look. And Finellis is another Wisconsin guy that played, I believe, for Bielema. I, I don't expect that to be the case. And if it did, it would honestly look pretty, pretty lame. Kay Andrews says, I'm more crushed than any season of any sports team I've ever been a fan of in my entire life. And it was coaching from the second Walters left to this very moment. They've gone 6-11 after their 7-1 start last year. And that's just it, Kay Andrew. You know, the momentum loss goes back to the tail end of last year. And now that 1-4 finish to last year is starting to feel like more a continuation of what we saw. Or, I guess, a harbinger of things to come. You know, it hinted that things are starting to slip. And I just didn't see enough this year to make me think that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This coaching staff knows how to, to fix these issues, so next year we aren't doing the same thing. I mean, boy, the personnel issues are a question, but I question what we really have with the coaching staff. And next year's schedule, it could be worse. Let's get this out of the way. The schedule next year could be worse. We did not get screwed by any means. If you were a halfway decent team, I still think you get six wins next year. I just don't know if they're going to be that. I just don't. From Brad, I wonder where Barry Lenny's offense was ranked in the Big Ten. It had to be top half. So I looked that up again. Uh, third in total offense, and I think fifth, in, fifth or sixth in scoring offense. That's good. I, second half of the year, I thought Barry Lenny was a solid B. Yeah, there were moments where he could have got one more score against Iowa, could have got one more score against Wisconsin, no doubt. Okay. The offense went and won you games this year. The defense never did. The defense never won you a game. And I know that's not really how football works. I mean, they, they work in tandem. It's complementary football, as they so often say. But man, the offense at least gave you a chance to make a bowl game. Defense never did. 
from Brad. Got to buy out that Missouri game. Brad, you got to buy out the Missouri game. You got to buy out the Kansas game, which I know they won't, but they should. You're already 0-1 next year. You are not beating Jalen Daniels in Kansas. Stop acting like a big boy program with your scheduling. I want them to act like a big boy program with their coaching and their personnel, but until you start making bowl games consistently, you cannot shoot yourselves in the foot with these high-level non-conference games. It does, it does not help. Playing Toledo and Kansas didn't do a damn bit of good for you for the rest of the first half of that year. If anything, it seemed to completely shake the team to the core, and they didn't recover until Maryland. So play the scrubs. Didn't bother Michigan, and I know that's apples and oranges, but play the scrubs. Do the Bill Snyder, Glenn Mason method. Three scrubs and the Big Ten. I want bowl games. I even asked my dad this question on Saturday. He's the season ticket holder, right? God bless him. He still pays for him, and I get to go with him. And I said, given the choice between Kansas coming to town next year or Bowling Green, who do you want? And he said, I don't care about Kansas. I want the win. I think most Illini fans would agree with that. We want the win. I don't want to walk out of Memorial Stadium after Jalen Daniels lights our asses up again and we lose 38-20. to Oh, look, we're 1-1 one one with a win against Eastern Illinois and a loss against Kansas. We'll go to 2-1 and one against Central Michigan, but at the end of the year, we'll be 5-7 and seven because we could ill afford another non-conference Power 5 loss. Buy out of it. Stop. Just, you've got the money. They're going to be too stubborn to do it. I know they are. They're going to be too stubborn to do it because of some pride thing. I don't know. Buy out of it. Kansas will get a scrub team, beat them. We'll get a scrub team, beat them. You've got to make bowl games. We cannot pussyfoot around this and continue to go 4-8, and 5-7 and, and expect to be worth a damn. And while there are bigger fish to fry than the scheduling thing, that is a controllable thing that you can do right now. Buy out of Kansas. Buy out of Duke, even though they lost their coach. But buy out of Duke and buy out of Missouri. I don't give a crap about Illinois-Missouri football rivalry. It's been a joke my entire life. I think we're 0-7 against Missouri since I started following this thing. We're at least 0-5. And I know it's home and home. Stop. Buy out of it. They won't. Screaming into the void like I told Jeremy. But it's just stupid. It is stupid scheduling that you can fix. <sighs> Chris, it's year three. Reality check. We have to dig out from under decades of futility going to take a while. Chris, there is something to be said for that, and I don't discount it. I just think that we also need to factor in the context of how bad this schedule was or how winnable it was and that you don't get opportunities like that. And regardless of where this program has been historically, that was a massive underperformance given the opponents that you had. Brad says the last few years of Lovey Smith recruiting were terrible. Now we're starting to see that. Yeah. Northwestern also had every 50-50 ball go their way. There's no doubt about that. They did, Brad. I mean, the fumble in the end zone. It sat on the ground for two seconds. <laughs> uh, real quick, last thing here, and Chris says competence. And I think that was in regards to what we're just asking for. And that's the weird thing about this year is while you were competitive in all those second half games, I don't think you were really competent. Maryland was competence. That was like, oh, okay, that's the, that's the method, right? Wisconsin was three quarters of competence. Minnesota was eh, three quarters of competence, right? Um, enough to win. And then the Indiana game was one so one unit of the ball was competent or amazing, and the other side was god-awful. And then the Iowa game was two quarters of competence. But, again, defense can't make a play when you need them to. And then Northwestern was, well, whatever the hell that game was. Last point I want to make here, um, 
if this is if this price sounds like a bitch fest and i i didn't want to do that podcast but i think that there was there were so many things wrong with this year that didn't have to be wrong and the last thing i want to end with is the overall um the grievances that Brett Bielema sort of amassed with officiating. We saw yet another timeout against Northwestern to argue a call. Again, talk about a throw your remote control at the TV moment. Not because of the call, okay? And yes, the defensive holding call that wasn't, that's bogus. That's bad officiating. I don't think the refs are out to get us. I think the refs are incompetent. I don't think they're out to get us. I don't think there's a conspiratorial thing. What I'm asking of our four or five million dollar man is to stop picking a fight with the officials when there are 20 other things that your team could be doing where those calls don't matter as much. Of course, you're in a position as a program where calls do impact games. The Johnny Newton targeting impacted the game. And yes, by law, it was targeting. I freaking hate it. It impacted the game. But you know what? You still had a lot of cushion. Couldn't finish it. The Northwestern game, yeah, the officiating wasn't great, but I, other than the defensive holding, I don't have a whole lot of problems with it. You only had one penalty called on you the entire game, and yet we're still burning timeouts to argue things that aren't going to get changed. If this is going to be a fight he's going to pick every game, you're losing valuable timeouts, and more than that, you're just kind of looking like a whiny loser. And that may sound unfair, because from his, his perspective, he's defending his guys. He is advocating for his program. But when you're losing, it doesn't look good. It makes you look small. It makes you look like a complainer. Like you aren't taking accountability for the things that you aren't doing well. And there was a laundry list of things that this Illinois team did not do well all season long. That left a really sour taste in my mouth. And... It's, it's really weird to sit here three and a half months later, you know, if you would have said Bielma or Underwood, Bielma or Underwood, and I know it's just kind of a silly game to play, but I was so much more in the Bielma train because it felt like he had everything with his program under control, you know? He was someone that crossed all the T's and dotted all the lowercase J's and knew exactly what was happening, and you know, without necessarily being a micromanager, right? He was the ultimate CEO kind of guy for a program that so long needed it. But when I see something like that, I, time and time again, the official thing, <sighs> even the way that he said, he literally said BS, he said the words, but this is a clean podcast, we don't say language like that, he said it was a BS, the defensive holding call that wasn't, yeah, fine, and he said our entire season came down to it, no, it didn't, your entire season came down to about a million other intersections before that one. This season. How about not showing up on a Friday night against a really bad Nebraska team and losing 20-7? to How about completely folding in the second half against a 4-1 Purdue team? How about losing to Wisconsin despite being up 13-14 in the second half? In the fourth quarter. I mean, God, the list goes on and on. This team blew so many opportunities, and they own that 5-7 and seven record. They are the ultimate 5-7 and seven team, one that gave you some signs like, whoa, hey, but one that ultimately couldn't get the job done. And that, along with UK, Andrew, one of the most frustrating teams I've ever watched. Exhausting, frustrating, maddening, and it makes me 
more concerned about the future of this program under Brett Bielema than I ever had been before. And I don't think that's hyperbole because the same things that Arkansas fans talked about, which I generally discarded as SEC West, toughest division in Power 5 history, you know, there, there were contextual things that made you understand why he didn't succeed overwhelmingly down there and that he still had a couple of good years. But when you're 6-11 and 11 in your last 17, and a lot of the losses are happening the way in which they're happening, and you're continuing to shoot yourself in the foot and, and just be kind of sloppy, and, and, and still using the refs as a thing. Yeah, the refs suck, but they suck for everybody. I'm sorry. I'll give you the Michigan game last year was BS. I will agree with that. But I don't think the rest have cost you. Out of these last 11 losses that you've had in the last 17 games, how many of those games can you pinpoint and say the rest lost that game for us? Honestly, at the top of my head, I can recall a lot more times where Illinois just went out there and they lost it themselves. And it's becoming kind of a disturbing pattern. And the schedule ain't getting easier, boys. So it's a big off season. It was a good start for them today with Dennis. And... They're going to need to make hay here, and I hope they do because I want so badly a consistent football program, and this this year was two steps back. Nothing really consistent about it except being consistently inconsistent, and there's nothing really more maddening than that other than just sucking. Yes, of course it could be worse, but let's also not excuse this year for this coaching staff because if you wanted to use the word failure, I wouldn't say that you're being ridiculous about it. And even though I used it quite a bit Saturday night in the heat of the moment, I don't necessarily take that back because it kind of was. And we'll see if they can overcome it. I damn well hope so. All right, everybody. I wish I could have brought you, yay, happier news and whatnot, but no, it is what it is. It's Illinois football. They tend to do this sometimes. Not shocked by any of it, but man, am I disappointed. So what we're going to do, is we got Illinois Rutgers on Saturday. Now, I'm going this weekend with some friends up to uh, Wisconsin doing a big cabin thing with uh, about 12 other guys, and we'll be back on Sunday, and what I'll probably do is wait for Monday to do a Rutgers recap. That's the first Big Ten opportunity for this team, and I think will tell us a lot about how good they are because I think this team can be gutty, and they can be good, and this is a bad Big Ten. It's another opportunity similar to football. It's an opportunity to make hay in what looks to be a really bad conference. Really bad. Purdue's great. Michigan State's good. Ohio State, sneaky good. Wisconsin's Wisconsin. Other than that, I don't know, guys. I <laughs> I did have this thought. You were not going to lose to Penn State three times this year. So automatically, you should have more wins than last year, right? But uh, we will wait until then to do that. So I know that's, that's another week off, but I promise you as we get into basketball season, the frequency will be picking up here. Um, hate the postmortems for football. Hate it. But that's what this is, and I really hope that this time next year we can be talking about a bowl game because uh, they kind of need to do that, and uh, if not, I don't know where we're going, boys. I mean, listen, is going to be here for a while. That's, that is a fact, and overall, I'm okay with that, but we are going to need him to do more than what he did this last offseason if we have any chance. All right, DP Doe, all mine at dpdoe.com. Dogtown Indian Air and Plumbing, give them a call at 217-841-4728. State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. And Owen Builders, LLC. Visit them online at owenbuildersllc.com. For Champagne Showers Podcast Network, 
Appreciate you, the listeners and the viewers on YouTube. I know this is kind of an impromptu stream, but wanted to get uh, another video up on the channel. And we will see you guys in a week to recap, hopefully, what is a big one for Illinois Rutgers. Even if Rutgers is down, that's a hard place to play, and it's really the first true road test for this team. So that would be a big win that would, I think, ease a little bit of our concerns as to whether this is, in fact, a good team. Because I do think a good team goes into Piscataway and gets that done. Let's hope that's what happens on Saturday. So we'll see you in a week. Have a good rest of your week. Go on, I, I guess. God dang it. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing this, and I'm not going to ever really disengage, but man, like, boy, is it mentally taxing. But I, I love doing this, and I love all the feedback and all the support. So we'll see you guys soon, and uh, talk to you on the next 200 level.